I'm glad you picked that hymn out, Ron, the last one there. I didn't know what the hymns were going to be this week, so I'm glad for that one. It dovetails nicely with the, uh, the message. Only one life to offer. We have one life to live, one life to live for the Lord, and let's make it count. And so that's one of the things we're going to look at in our message this morning. Um, how many of you like a good missionary story? Okay, I, I love reading stories about missionaries that have gone out into the world, into different countries, and things have happened. Some of you may have heard, um, I'm going to tell you a little story first, and then we're going to get into our passage. Some of you may have already heard this, but for those that haven't, bear with me. Or maybe you're, you who have heard it, bear with me. Anyway, whatever it is, <laughs> listen up. <laughs> so, one of the things that we have done um, through Calvary here is to get uh, gifts out to um, mission works that are going on in the world. And we heard recently about a work that was going on in the little African country of Malawi. And uh, Malawi is um, of interest to us, as Chris and I at one time were thinking about going there as missionaries. And um, the Lord clearly closed the door on that for us for a number of reasons, including uh, the fact that we were hopeless when it came to uh, learning a foreign language. But that's another story. So the real story is we heard about um, a literature work that was going on in Malawi where a book similar to uh, Stranger on the Road to Emmaus was being translated by a Malawian national and it was going to be printed and distributed uh, to people in Malawi. And uh, I contacted the organization, and I said, what's needed? And they said, well, we have a need for $10,000. And, I mean, they didn't just come out with it. I had to really squeeze it out of them for them to tell me that. But I said, okay, from the assembly here, we're going to give... $1,000 towards it. That's seed money, I call it, okay? Seed money. Now, before I get to that story, I want to tell you another story, okay? So my stories are kind of multifaceted stories, right? And uh, so uh, let me ask you this. If somebody came to you and said, if you invest $1,000, I can promise you that you'll get a 10% return on your money this year. Is that, in this economy, a good return on your investment? Okay, yes. Banks aren't offering very much, and stocks and bonds aren't offering very much. The Lord is a different kind of investment um, uh, person. Uh, he, He really takes a very small investment, and he multiplies it. So now I'm going to tell you another story. There was this little boy who came to Jesus when Jesus was by the seashore, and there was all these crowds of people, and Jesus turned to them, to the disciples, and said, feed them. And they go, there's no safe way around here. You know, How can we feed these crowds of people? And a little boy gave Jesus a lunch, right? His lunch. A few loaves, a few fish, and Jesus blessed it and broke it and fed thousands with it. That's the Lord's multiplication. Okay. better than any bank, better than any investment portfolio, better than anything that you can imagine. 
So let's get back to my story. A thousand dollars. It's not much money today. Thousand dollars. They need ten thousand dollars just to get the project going. So we said, here's seed money. Let's pray that the Lord might multiply it. In sight of three months, okay, not a year, that money turned into ten thousand dollars. There was enough money for them to proceed with the project. That's a pretty good investment in three months, don't you think? $10,000, they had fully funded the project, they printed the books, they began to distribute the books. The guy who did the translation work said, you know what I'm going to do with this book? I'm going to go a step further. I'm actually going to call pastors from churches all throughout the country to come together and let's study it together. Well, that's going to be the better part. The money part is kind of nothing in a sense. The real issue is the souls of people, right? The whole purpose of producing a book like this is for people to study the Word of God and to hear the Word of God and be saved. And he says, that's, what I want to, that's how I want to use it. And so he began to teach, and he brought 45 pastors together so that he could teach them the Word of God so that they could go back to their congregations and to teach the Word of God there. Well, now you're really starting to see multiplication, and we're not talking in terms of money. We're talking in terms of souls. Of the 45 pastors who came together for this teaching, 14 of them trusted the Lord for salvation. They weren't even saved, and they came to know the Lord as a result of going through uh, this study together. They went back to their congregations, and, and today, not just today, today, but right now in this era, they are now teaching their people what they have themselves learned, and the church is beginning to grow and to flourish. Uh, now they need even more books to distribute. So think of it in terms of an investment. What kind of an investment is that? It's phenomenal. It's, it's unbelievable what God can take with seed money and turn it into a full-funded project, forget the money, and think in terms of souls at what God is really doing in reaching the souls of men and women and children in the country of Malawi. And we could multiply this story over and over again as we talk about what the Lord is currently doing in 2014 um, today. Well, I love missionary stories like that. I love stories where, where God is active and at work. And um, then I began to think about the passage or the, the book that we want to study in uh, the next few months, and that's the book of First Thessalonians. But we're not going to go there today. So what I thought we would do today is give an introduction to this book of First Thessalonians and talk about the gospel and how the gospel reached Thessalonica, how it reached these people who were living um, without the Lord. And so you find that actually in the book of Acts, and we're going to turn to Acts chapter 16. Well, there's more to this story, too. For you see, this story isn't just about Thessalonica. This story actually is about you. You're included in this story that we're going to look at this morning. And as we get into it, you're going to see how you were included, how I was included in this particular story and the great missionary movement that took place here in the uh, early uh, part of the church. 
So we're going to read a fairly long passage a passage of scripture so that you get the whole story because to tell this as a part of a story you're going to miss so much. And so bear with me as I as I read through it. Follow along in your Bible and we're not going to put it up on the screen. We're actually going to just have you read it in your Bible uh either on your phone or on your lap. Okay? So Acts chapter 16 and we're going to begin reading in verse um Well, I'm going to read in verse 1. Let's start there. Then he came to Derbe. So this is Paul and Silas. In fact, I'm going to go one, two verses above this, back to verse 40 of chapter 15. It says, But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so this is what is often called Uh, the second missionary journey of Paul. This is the beginning of that second missionary journey of Paul. He's going out, not with Barnabas this time, but with Silas. Then he came to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So Paul wants to take another companion. It's Paul, Silas, and Timothy, three of them so far. And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. So let's stop there for just a minute. Paul went out on a first missionary journey. That's why we call this one the second missionary journey. In the first missionary journey, he went from town to town, preached the gospel, saw people saved, saw churches established. In this second journey, his thought is, I need to go back to these churches. I need to strengthen the believers. I need to teach them more. I need to give them more so that they can live for Christ. That was his goal, to go out and to strengthen the churches. And we see that that's what he's doing here. Now, when they had gone, verse 6, through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mycenae, to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mycenae, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia. A colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Here we have 
a believer, a, a woman who came to know the Lord. So let's say you're the missionary. You're Paul, Silas, or Timothy, and you're writing home to your home church, which uh, your newsletter, your, your missionary newsletter. What are you going to write? Man, this was so cool what happened. We came to this city. We went down to the river. There were people praying there. We talked to them about the Lord, and guess what? People got saved. That's right, right? Okay? You would tell about what happened. That's what the, this is the missionary uh, activity. I love a missionary story. Here's one, but there's more. Now, it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge He put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, what would your missionary letter say? Undergoing persecution, right? Okay, well, there's more. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do not, or do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in the house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. Now, what would your missionary letter say? Okay. Jailer saved, you know, another person came to know the Lord. Well, there's more. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers saying, let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia 
And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Okay, that's Philippi. We're still not in Thessalonica. But this is what led up to them going to Thessalonica. So we have to have this background first before we can see what happens in Thessalonica. It's important for the story. It's important for the study of Thessalonians, as we'll see when we get there. So now, chapter 17. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, that's where they were staying, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So he then goes to Berea after that. We're going to skip that part of it. Um, It's a very long passage we read this morning. I realize it, but I, I want you to get a full picture. This is a missionary story. This is a missionary letter, if you will, coming back to us to see what God was doing early on in church history, and we want to put it into uh, perspective. As I mentioned earlier, Paul really set out to go and strengthen the churches that he established in his first missionary journey. Now he's going out to encourage them and to, to, um, to strengthen them. So chapter 15, verse 40, we see that he takes Silas with him. Along the way, he picks up in chapter 16, verses 1 through 3, he picks up Uh, Timothy. Paul's plan was after strengthening the churches, now let's go up to Asia. Let's go north. And it says very clearly, the Holy Spirit forbid him to go there. No. And so he thought, well, we'll go to Bithynia. And the Holy Spirit prevented from going there as well. And then one night, Paul had a vision. And in this vision, there was a man from Macedonia pleading with him to come to them and to help them. And Paul said, okay. The Lord said, no. said, no. The Lord says, yes. And that's kind of the directions that you would be seeing on a map if you were looking at it. Okay, so the Lord said, no, no, yes. What should I do? Now, I want to paint a missionary story where you're included, okay? Because this event is so significant that it makes a difference whether you're saved or not. What happens here 
right here, right now, in this particular passage, makes a difference whether the gospel comes to Europe, comes to America, comes to Canada, or goes to China. That's really what's happening here. That's the difference. Just a simple choice of direction determines whether or not the gospel is going to go out to you and why you're sitting here this morning. Okay? It's a huge, huge uh, event here. And we just kind of gloss over it, read right through it, and go, oh, yeah, I'm a Macedonian call. That's what this is. <laughs> it's a call to Europe. It's a call that God is using in this vision to call Paul and Silas and Timothy, and we'll see later, Luke is also with them, to go into Europe for the first time and preach the gospel to people that are in Europe. Okay? Now, I don't know why the gospel did not go northeast into China at that time. There were plenty of people there. Michael just came back from China last night, and uh, you saw plenty of people there, right, Michael? You flew over cities, massive cities, a billion-plus people in China today, and they need the gospel. But the Lord had other plans at this moment. And as I look over this crowd, I look and I say, you know what? Many of you have European descendants, right? Some of you came uh, from descendants from Europe. Um, My family originally came from Scotland. Not very nice people. Now, my immediate relatives, of course, are quite nice. (laughs) They're still living. I have to say that. (laughs) But I've heard about the horror stories of some of the Scottish people. You know, and they were warriors. They were real tough dudes, you know. I mean, any guy that's going to come out to battle wearing a skirt, I mean, he's a tough guy, right? Kilt, I guess they call it, right? (laughs) I've heard stories of of people, of, of armies retreating, just hearing the noise of the bagpipes. I happen to love them, you know, but uh, that's that, that's where we came from. I, that's where I came from originally. If you go back enough length of time in history, Scotland never would have heard the gospel, at least not the way it did, had the gospel not first gone to Europe at this moment. And so this is really as a result of the gospel going to Europe, it eventually came to Scotland, to England, to Ireland to North America, to South America, and then there was a huge missionary outpouring at the um, end of the 1800s, early 1900s to the world. Now, there was a missionary outpouring here too, but if you follow church history and you trace it back, it really stems from Paul's simple obedience to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, no, no, yes, okay? That's what it boils down to. We see the clear and unmistakable guidance of the Lord here. And so I want to ask you a question. How does the Lord guide today? I think if I asked you to put up your hands, how many of you have ever had a vision from God? No hand would go up. God doesn't speak that way today. He doesn't give a vision like he did here today. How does God speak? How does God give us direction? How does God lead us and direct us in his will? Well, it's quite simple. Primarily, 
through this book that you're holding in your hand or on your iPad, right? The Bible. God speaks to us through His Word, gives us direction through His Word. He also gives us guidance, counsel of parents and elders. And you can add um, to that supplemental leading through circumstances in life and through prayer and through the peace of God. But His primary way of leading us and guiding us is found right here in this book. The interesting thing about Paul is that he was actively doing the known will of God in his life at this time. What do you mean, the known will of God? Do you remember what Jesus said as he was about to ascend into heaven? He said to the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. What he's saying is, that still stands today. It is our responsibility. If you want to do the, know the will of God and do the will of God, preach the gospel. Take it to your friends. Take it to your relatives. Take it to the uttermost parts of the earth. And that is, you are in the center of God's will when you're doing that. That's what God's told us to do. That's what Paul was doing. Now, it's just not, not only was he doing it, now it's just a question of, okay, who's next? Who do I bring the gospel to next? That was really the question for him. So we know it's the will of God to preach the gospel, to tell others how to be saved. And that's what we're supposed to be spreading. And then Paul says, okay, he's a moving target, right? He's moving, he's serving the Lord, and he says, I'm going to go here next because they need the gospel. The Lord says, no. Actually, what the Lord was saying here wasn't just no. He was saying, not yet, okay? Is it the will of God for everybody to hear the gospel? Absolutely. Jesus, uh, it says in, in the scripture, the most famous verse of all of the scripture, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish. That's everybody. Everybody who believes in the Lord can be saved. That's his, that's his plan. So Paul wanted to, go this, you know, wanted to go that direction, and the Lord said no. But it was really not yet, okay? Because it was still the Lord's will, ultimately, uh, for the gospel to be preached there. Then he wanted to go another direction. He says no. He says, Lord, where do you want me to go? Vision, Macedonia, go to Europe. Okay. Now, I want to say something else about this passage. Paul was in the very center of God's will. Man, it's important for us to be in that position. It is so critical for our Christian life, so critical for our lives to be in the very center of God's will. And I want to ask you a question. I want you to think about this as you, as you uh, listen here. What is it like to be in the center of God's will? will. What is it like? You don't have to answer. Just think about it for a minute. What is it like to be in the center of God's will? Many people think that if you're in the center of God's will, that means that everything in your life goes smoothly. There are no problems. There are no difficulties. You have smooth sailing because you're in the center of God's will. Many people believe that. And it is absolutely false. Okay? That is not biblical teaching. In fact, if your life is smooth sailing and you have no problems, I would actually question 
whether you're really in the center of God's will. Why do I say that? Well, let's take a look at what the scripture says. You know that, what is it, Hakuna Matata? Uh, philosophy, you know, no worries. That's uh, for those of you who are unschooled in, in uh, Swahili. Uh, it, that means a problem-free, worry-free life. And many Christians think that that's the way it is. Just kind of waltz through Christian life and everything is Hakuna Matata, you know, worry-free. But it's not what the Bible teaches. In John 16:33, it says this. These, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. Well, that's good. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. So actually the Lord is promising believers peace in the midst of tribulation. And a problem-free life is not what Paul experienced. He says in 2 Timothy 3.12, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That verse comes on the heels of uh, two other verses. Paul is approving the believers here for fall enter of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. And he says, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. That's being in the center of God's will. And again he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 22, Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil, for the Son of Man's sake. If you're serving the Lord, you're going to be attacked. There's no question about it. Okay? And he's saying, blessed are you when that happens. Why? Because that's evidence that you are in the center of God's will. If everybody speaks well of you, Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you. For so did their fathers to the false prophets. Ouch. The gospel, if we're preaching the gospel, if we're presenting the gospel, it's offensive to people to tell them that they're sinners. You know what? You're a sinner. You're going to hell, and you need to be saved from your sin. That's offensive to people, okay? And don't shy away from it. It tells them that there is absolutely no hope unless their hope is anchored in Jesus Christ. It's offensive to them. It tells them that... They are not good and that their good works cannot earn them a place in heaven. That's offensive to people, but it's the truth. Can you imagine a doctor telling a person with stage four cancer, don't worry, be happy. Everything will just come out all right. Okay? Hakuna Matata. No, he has a duty to tell the person that he's dying and has a short window of time to put his house in order. And the unsaved around us need to know that they don't have much time and it's time for them to put their house in order so that they might um, know the Lord before it's too late. Our message today is the same as the message the Apostle Paul preached here in the book of Acts. Salvation through Jesus Christ. So in Acts 16 verse 10, um, we learn that Luke joins them in their missionary journey. We know that because there's the change of a personal pronoun from them, they, 
uh, to we, and he's joining them uh, in, the, in the journey. So anyway, they go to Troas, they travel by foot to Philippi, the Roman colony, and it was there that Paul met Lydia, saw them saved. Uh, he continued to speak about the Lord in the city. And there's this young girl that's, who is following them all the time saying, these men are, are the servants of the Most High God. Their message is true. Really? Do you want that kind of PR guy or spokesperson? She's, she's known in town as a fortune teller. She's known in town as being involved in the occult. She's known in town as being filled with a demon. Do you really want her testimony saying, yeah, but these men are, are good guys? I don't think so. And Paul lets it go on for a while, and many days it says in the Scripture, and finally he's had enough. And greatly annoyed, it says, he turns to her and casts out the demon from her. And many people look at this kind of stuff and they go, well, it's just sort of superstitious stuff. You know, uh, Wednesday night, uh, Krista's brother and sister-in-law were in town. We went to San Francisco with them. And as we're walking down the street near Pier 39, there are three women sitting on the side of the road. And one of them calls out to me and she says, would you like your cards read? No, I don't want my cards read. Tarot cards, you know, and, and trying to, she's a fortune teller. And she's like this woman in the Bible. And you say, well, you know, it's, um, it's just superstition. It's not superstition. This woman was filled with a demon. She was demon-possessed. And the demon was prompting her to shout out, these men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And Paul was annoyed by it. And I want to tell you this because so many people... They just don't seem to get it. But the work of fortune tellers, tarot card readers, seances, psychics, the occult is demonic. There's no two ways about it. It's demonic. Um, somebody recently said, oh, yeah, I, I um, bought a Ouija board. Really? It's demonic. Get, get real okay, and understand what is going on here. Um, Paul was annoyed that a demon was using this girl to speak and he refused to accept the testimony and he cast the demon out of her. This girl was controlled by a demon, but she was also controlled by evil men. Evil men saw this demon-possessed girl and said, hey, we could make a fortune out of her. She's not just a fortune teller, but we could actually make a fortune from her. We could pocket the money, okay? And that's what they were doing. They were like pimps, okay? It wasn't sexual stuff that she was involved in, but it was demonic, and, and it was a way of trading her for money. And so they were uh, controlling her as well. And when the demon was cast out, all of a sudden she no longer had the ability to tell fortunes. Guess what? Their prophet was shot. And now they're angry. And they're angry at Paul and Silas and Timothy and and uh, Luke, for what just happened here. I said, wait a minute, you just took away our business. They could care less about the woman. All they cared about was their profit. And their fortunes vanished. And so they went, uh, well, let's take a look, verse 19. I want to just show you what happened in Philippi. They were seized. They were dragged through the marketplace, verses 20 and 21. They were taken to court They endured false accusations, verses 22 through 23. 
They had their clothes torn off of them. They were beaten with rods. Their backs were whipped and bleeding. They threw them into prison without a trial, uncondemned Roman citizens, which was totally illegal. In verse 24, they were thrown into the inner prison, which is probably a dungeon or an inner cell, and their feet were in stocks, which would be an incredibly uh, uncomfortable position with bleeding backs. This was their introduction, or if we could say it this way, this was their welcoming committee from the first European city where the gospel was preached. Now imagine that you're these missionaries, and this is your first attempt to preach the gospel to a European city. Are you even going to write that letter, or are you just going to hightail it home and say, you know what, obviously God doesn't want me here. They went to prison. How did they respond? Chapter 16, verse 25. But at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. That's the response of a person who realizes that he is completely in the center of God's will. No matter what happens, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what kind of trial he's in, he says, I am in the center of God's will. I am going to praise the Lord no matter what. No matter how bad the circumstances. And I think of Job, and I see how Job was actually in the very center of God's will. And Satan came along and said, yeah, no wonder he's, he's uh, pleased with you. No wonder he does what he does. No wonder he's, uh, he loves you. It's because you've given him everything, God. And God says, okay, I'll let you have your way with him. Just don't touch his body at this moment. And so in one day, he lost his livestock. He lost his business. He lost his children. He lost everything he had. And this is what Job said. He was in the center of God's will, remember? His response was, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Job did not sin with his lips, and he did not charge God with wrong. Paul and Silas were stripped and flogged and bound and falsely accused in stocks, in prison. And the first thing we hear from their mouth is hymns of praise to the Lord, worshiping God because they're in the center of God's will. I don't know of anyone here, including the preacher, who has ever experienced anything close to a trial like this. Yeah, we've all gone through trials, different sorts. I've never been flogged for my faith. I've been rejected by men, but not like this. But in the midst of our trials and our difficulties, our sleepless nights, our pain, our sorrows, can we, like Job, bless the name of the Lord? And can we, like Paul and Silas, praise our God with our songs in the night, in the times of our lives when there is so little light? Will we, will we sing songs? In the night. Job did. Paul and Silas did. God wants to hear us sing as well. I'm going to play uh, a song for you. And um, this will close the, the meeting today. It's a song David was going to sing for us, but David is sick today. 
So we have to go with the original version of it. And uh, it's a song that was written by a music group called Greater Vision. That's not the song. Okay. But I appreciate the music. (laughs) Ready to go?
tell you one more missionary story. There was a man named C.T. Studd who was a cricketer in uh, England. And uh, he was a, a man who had a fortune from his family. Since the call of God to, to serve the Lord overseas, and he gave up his cricketer fame, gave up his wealth, and he went and he followed um, uh, Hudson Taylor to China. And he went to China, and for 21 years he served the Lord in China and in India, and he came back broken in health, and uh, not defeated, but, but broken in health. He was very, very weak when he returned uh, home. He is most famous for this quote, where he wrote, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. I'm going to leave you with one more quote from this man. After he returned home, he sensed the Lord was calling him to yet another mission field. We thought he had already finished his work in China and in India, but the Lord called him to Africa and into the Congo of Africa. And while he was there, uh, he was greatly used of the Lord as well. But he began to think of his life and his service for the Lord. Now, here's a man who went through so much, gave up so much to serve the Lord. And you'd think that he would be satisfied with how much he had given to the Lord. But this is what he says. And it's a rebuke to me as I think about the way we serve the Lord, the way I serve the Lord. I am getting desperately afraid of going to heaven, he says. For I have had the vision of shame. I shall suffer as I get my first glimpse of the Lord Jesus. His majesty, power, and marvelous love for me, who treated him so meanly and shabbily on earth and acted as though I did him a favor in serving him. No wonder God shall have to wipe away the tears off all faces, for we shall be brokenhearted when we see the depth of his love and the shallowness of ours. If you are in the center of God's will, the Lord will allow you to suffer for his name's sake. He will allow you to face trouble. But in the midst of it all, God wants to hear you sing. Is he worth it? He's worth everything. Let's pray and we'll end the meeting uh, with that. Lord, as we think of the work that you did on the cross for us, how you suffered and bled and died for us and paid an innumerable amount for our salvation. Lord, how can we even calculate it? That you died, that you were buried, and that you rose again. Hallelujah. What a Savior, we say. Lord, when I think of the cross and when I think of what you've done for us, Lord, we pray that we might live for you, that we might suffer for you, as you see fit, and that you might give us the strength, Lord, and the, and the spiritual sense that in the midst of trials, that we would not take our eyes off of you, but that we might have them fixed upon our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and that we might sing you songs in the night. Lord, we pray that this assembly of people, this assembly of saints, might worship you, not only with our voice, but with our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.